0: Thanks again for being here at Grace. We're, we are glad that you're here. Um, you see all these boxes in front of me. Of course, that's Operation Christmas Child, and, and we thank so many of you for being involved in this. These boxes are heading out today. Uh, today was your last chance. So if you, if you have a box and, and you put stuff in it, but you didn't get it here this morning, you're in trouble. Uh, no, you have until four o'clock this afternoon. You can actually go home, grab it, bring it back here. There will be people here between now and that time. And so you can drop it off, follow the signs, drop it off. That'd be great. We're, we're going to send those out. If uh, if you happen to be available, I think it's 3 to 8. Uh, tomorrow, if you've got a strong back, some of you men or, or teens uh, that want to help load a, a, a semi-trailer, we are actually the this region's uh what do you call it, but drop-off uh, for all these boxes. So a bunch of other churches bring their boxes here to us, and so we're responsible to load that up. That would be tomorrow. So if you have time, you can jump in with us there. And why do we do that? Because we want to make an impact on people around the world, and and not just in faraway places. We want to make a, an impact on people right around here. And because of that, I want to... Uh, I wanted us to hear from someone today, actually she 's a member of our church, but i'd like us to welcome Tony Brewbaker. <laughs> Tony is the director of Heartbeat Hope Medical, and uh, she's her and her husband John are members here at grace, and we just appreciate so much her ministry and i 've got to tell you she is on the front line of of a very important battle that's happening in our country right now. I was just reading uh, this week about that the Supreme Court decided to hear a case from California where, in California, state law was passed where uh, crisis pregnancy centers, um, the, the workers there have to share with everybody that walks in their door um, where they can get a taxpayer-funded statewide abortion in California and, and give them literature, maybe give them an address Uh, for every person that walked in the door, which would be a lot like us, like Ohio passing a law that says, we here at Grace Community, everybody that comes in our doors, we have to give them a card, and we have to send them where they can find resources on how to be a better atheist. I mean, you know, it just, it makes no sense. It's a violation of free speech for for the workers there in California, and also a violation of our freedom of religion. So, as, as they kind of, work through that. I, I don't know when it comes up on the docket, but I invite you to pray for that. But Tony is on the front line of the battles here locally, and you've been with Heartbeat Hope Medical how long?
1: Six years now.
0: Six years. And uh, she's also, as I said, part of our church, and, and there's just a lot going on. And when, when we look at how we want to impact people, uh, we would like to, to do that with young people that find themselves in, in awkward situations. But uh, I know you've been involved in this here, and, and it's also not only in Fremont, but also in Tiffin. What, uh, what's maybe one of the, the biggest wins uh, in the last year or so that, that you've experienced at Heartbeat Hope Medical?
1: I would say the biggest wins have been our programs. Um, they have really grown. Um, we have our parenting program, and that's just a joy because we get an entire year to spend with those clients, both moms and dads. Um, lots more dads coming, um, and so they're hearing the message, they're hearing the gospel, um, and then our um, schools, we go into the schools for a week with our education program, and we've tripled the number of schools that we're in, so that's a, that's a blessing. And then um, the last thing is that um, our post-abortive healing program has really taken off. We've had our first weekend model, and um, what a joy that is to see women set free from that bondage of guilt and shame and regret.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, I'm going to continue asking Tony a few more questions, but I want to warn you about something. I'm going to ask to take up an offering for Heartbeat Hope Medical, and I want to just give you a heads up on that. And uh, so I want our ushers ready for that. And um, if you want to, this is a a ministry that that we want to support in our community. So if whatever you put in the offering bag that's going to be passed in just a moment you can make that out to Grace Community Church. We'll make sure it goes to Heartbeat Hope Medical, or maybe you can make it out that way. Or you can text to give, kind of a a new thing that we're doing. That's text 84321. And then if you put any dollar amount, any number, and the word hope, either before or after that number, you know, hope one, that's $1. Or 10 hope, that's $10. You can text to give that way if you're set up to do that. So, just want you to be prepared for that, so that's coming just in a couple of minutes. But Tony, speaking about that, let me just ask you, what's what's your greatest challenges in the ministry that you're doing?
1: I would say the challenge probably is resources. To be honest, um, it takes it takes resources to be able to fund these programs that we're talking about, um, and it is just just to give you an idea, we run our budget. Um, very, very thinly. And, yeah, I and it's know you two do. Centers. I know you do. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I know that's a that's a big challenge that way. I speaking of resources, I know that a, a few weeks ago you had a banquet, and I know you're trying to comp- accomplish a lot during that banquet. So uh, you provide everybody a meal, and I know there's a big cost to that. And so you're trying to, to get people in the room that can give substantially because you're paying for a meal, paying for a speaker, and doing all this stuff and trying to come out. Oh, with some of them black, could you give us a little inside information, maybe? How did that go for you? And you know, where where do you stand after that? And how much of your budget do you are you trying to raise during that banquet?
1: We're basically trying to um, anything that we make that night is what our budget is for the year. That's what we budget to try wow, to, to meet wow. that. So um, we ended up what our budget was last year. Based on what we made at the fundraiser this year, we needed about three times what we made actually at the fundraiser but
0: at the God at will the provide, banquet. Yes. yeah so again uh, this is uh, we've always felt like our partnership with Heartbeat Hope Medical has been different than any other partnership we have as a church uh, just because they're here local we, many people uh, that as part of grace, have been involved. As a matter of fact, if you're involved or have been involved with Heartbeat, Hope Medical, as a volunteer or a staff person, I'd like you to stand right now so we can see you. Stand up. Oh, several, several. Wow. Thank you so, so much. There are so many people in our church family that feel the same heartbeat that, uh, that Tony does about this issue, and we really do want to make it an impact, and, and I really think that Grace Community is, is probably the, the number one church supporter, um, although we do that informally in the past, um, of Heartbeat Hope Medical, and so because of that, I would like us to do this offering if the ushers would come and, uh, and start passing the bags again, everything that goes into the bag, no matter how it's marked or if it's just cash, that all will go to heartbeat hope medical and we're really trying to to make up an, an incredible deficit that they experienced uh, just the ministry's expanding with that, as Tony said, the needs for resources uh, the financial resources expand along with that so we'd like to open up our hearts and uh, as a church, and, and try to meet some of that need. I, I just got to tell you, uh, as a church, I love grace. I love all of you guys. And it's because of the impact that I see you making in our community. That's, that's why our church has grown, the way it's grown, and, and how God continues to keep growing our church. It's really because of all you. And, and then this is a perfect example of what really excites me in being a pastor is somebody like Tony, who steps up, steps into the forefront of the battle, because you guys are, are sometimes being attacked, and, you know, it's, it it's a little, gets a little negative out there, right?
1: It does, and I don't know that a lot of people are aware that there are specific groups right now that are coming against pregnancy centers because they know that what we do is working. Sharing the gospel is working, and so, um, we have a center that's not very far from here that have just has just been vandalized recently. Um, and I have always said that there is, and I think it's coming closer to that day when we will come into one of our centers and there will be protesters there um, before us to walk through those doors.
0: Yeah. So. yeah, that's and that's exactly probably what was behind what was happening in California is all this opposition raises up and they start making that happen through political channels and... And it's just bad news. But I just say all that to say that, Tony, we as a church, Grace Community, your church family, we love you. And we thank you for what you're doing. We appreciate your ministry. And we stand behind you 100%. And that includes our wallets. We are behind you. We want you to know that. Let's show her our appreciation. Well Tony has a, a tough job, and what probably maybe the, the toughest challenge of all that again, just it's resources. And so appreciate you allowing me this this is a one ministry that that almost every year we'll try to stop, pause, and take up an offering for and just try to help them in any way that we can. Well, again, thanks for that. we are we're in a series called Hard Sayings of Jesus and And in this series, we're reminded uh, that Jesus probably isn't the way a lot of people imagined that He was, in that I think He was a little tougher and direct than people realize. As we've been looking at these hard sayings today, the main hard saying that we're looking at is where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, and He said a lot of things in, in the most famous sermon in history, but He said, Do not cast your pearls before swine. Don't cast your pearls before swine. So we're going to dig into that. But actually, that's in Matthew chapter 7. And in the first seven verses of Matthew chapter 7, I believe there are actually three kind of hard sayings of Jesus. So we're going to buckle up, tune in, and try to cover all three. You with me? All right. All right. You're with me. Alright, we're gonna to try to do all three here, and here's what we're gonna find. We're gonna look at a, first at a hard saying that we understand, but we misapply. Then we're gonna look at a hard saying that we don't understand. And then last, we're gonna look at a hard saying that we understand, but we don't believe. That makes sense? All right, we're gonna start with a hard saying that we think we understand but that we misapply. And that is the first verse in Matthew chapter seven. Again, this is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And then in Matthew seven, verse one, he says, Jesus says, the way I memorize it, judge not that ye be not judged. He said in verse one, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And I gotta tell you, this verse, which is one of the most popular verses Jesus said, one of his most popular sayings, This saying may be more well-known by non-Christians than Christians, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Anytime you try to tell somebody, hey, whoa, you should not be doing that. That is messed up. That's wrong. They say what? Whoa, you can't tell me that. Jesus said, don't judge. Well, is that what Jesus meant We understand what Jesus is saying, but we misapply this. And we're going to find out more information just by following uh, this on down and, and read the whole context in the first five verses. It says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, first of all, Jesus can't mean that he's telling us that we should never judge anyone in the sense that we can't ever correct somebody or we can't ever take somebody aside and say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. We know that because Jesus spent the majority of his ministry doing that very thing, and Jesus never did anything wrong. And so we factor that in, as a matter of fact, in John 7, 7, Jesus says, hey, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. So if that's not what Jesus meant, that we can't tell people when they do something wrong, what what does he mean? What does he mean by not judging? And the first thing we notice in the context here is that he's telling us that we, we need to always approach other people in humility. And any time we're going to try to lovingly point somebody in the right direction, we need to do it with the understanding that we are jacked up sinners, right? That we have our own issues. And then he's saying that, and and that's the part, and and Jesus used kind of a a humorous uh, image to say that. He's saying, hey, you're concerned about a, a speck of sawdust In someone's eye, but you got a telephone pole in your eye is what he's talking about. He's saying, whoa, get rid of the telephone pole in your own eye and then you'll see clearly. But this is very interesting to me because he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, don't worry about the speck in somebody else's eye. Deal with your own telephone pole. No, he actually says, deal with your telephone pole so that you will be able to see clearly And help somebody with the speck that's in their eye. And that's what he's saying. And a lot of times, as people deal with this, they just hear judge not, and then they use that for a convenient blanket statement anytime somebody says something they're not uncomfortable, that they're not comfortable with. I actually memorized this verse when I was a teenager in college. But I never saw it that way, and the reason was, I had memorized a couple other verses in Matthew chapter 7, specifically the one that, that comes into play here is Matthew 7.15 that says that we are to beware of false prophets. It says it this way, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raving wolves. So judge not, and beware of false prophets who come to you, and, and they don't look, what they look like is not, you, you got to discern, you have to judge, you have to figure out because they come in sheep's clothing, but that's not who they really are. Okay, well, don't judge and hey, you got to judge this. And so that always tempered the way I saw this verse. But of course, the, the people that throw this in our faces, they don't know the context or the rest of the chapter or even the next tough saying that we're going to talk about that speaks to this as well. So knowing that, Help, help me to know that judge not did not mean that we couldn't correct somebody or that we couldn't discern or try to figure out you know what people you know what, what was going on, what they're doing, what their true colors were. But again, this is not touchy feely Jesus that people imagine. I mean, think about it. Not only did Jesus spend his ministry doing that, John the Baptist, who Jesus thought very highly of, right? John the Baptist lost his head because he was publicly saying what the king was doing was wrong because he had his brother's wife. that, That got him killed eventually. It cannot be that we cannot speak out against what is wrong or that we can't confront somebody, although we should do it in a loving way. We must help somebody that's in the wrong with humility. And that's how we do it non-hypocritically, by understanding that we all have failings, sometimes they're just in different issues. So what Jesus gives us, it's not a requirement to be blind to, to everybody's stuff. It's a command to be generous in the way we view them and how we communicate with them. And we see that in the second verse where we read it just a minute ago for in the way you judge you will be judged and by your standard of measure it'll be measured to you. We know from that we totally understand that that people will tend to when we judge people harshly harshly or wrongly that they'll tend to judge us back the same way, but more importantly, we realize that we are accountable to the supreme judge to interact with people lovingly and compassionately but also truthfully and so we need to know how to do that how to communicate in humility, truth and love so that's judge not and now the next thing I wanted to see is a hard saying of Jesus that's just hard, it's just hard to understand and and typically we don't understand it and that's the verse that I I led off with, which is the very next verse after verse five, verse six. And here's, and think about it this way. Judge not, man, to modern ears, to the world, to the culture, to Americans, that's music to their ears, right? Judge not. I can do whatever I want. Oh, you're telling me, judge not, man. Jesus said, judge not. Well, if that's music to their ears, what is this next verse? Because here's what this says. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, again, not the touchy-feely Jesus, right? All of a sudden it's like, whoa, that sounds kind of tough. We know From Scripture, as a matter of fact, in in Matthew 13, there's a whole story of the pearl of great price. The pearl there, and I believe here, represents the kingdom, the the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that is also what is holy. The, The thing that catches us here is this sounds a lot like Jesus might be calling people dogs and pigs. And if you're thinking that, you're absolutely correct. That's what he's doing. He's, he's saying, he's calling groups of people dogs and pigs, but, but he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us that not everybody has the same ability to receive this news or to see its value. Just like, uh, how many of you have ever slopped hogs? Put them up there. Don't, don't be embarrassed by that. Get it, get it up there, yeah. if you ever... Feeding hogs, it's not like feeding your cat, right? You know, you don't have to, come on, eat this. You got to eat. You, gotta, you, know, you throw buckets of stuff in the trough and they run to it and they grunt it all up and it's like gone. But if you give them a pearl that's not edible, they see zero value in that. They're hungry, they just want their bellies full. That's how they spend their entire life. A pearl, even though the pearl is so valuable, it might be able to purchase pig slop for the the entire pig's life. More valuable than all the slop the pig will ever eat. The pig doesn't see it that way, right? The pig just sees it as a rock, as a nothing. It's not digestible. It doesn't matter. It's not helping me. It's not, not giving me what I want. Jesus wants us to humbly judge and discern when other people are ready for spiritual truth. It's our job to share the gospel with everyone, but we also understand as we're sharing teachings of God that that there's an ebb and a flow to that, and we want to, in love, tune in to that other person and not just keep pounding them with something that they're incapable of understanding. One analogy would be, let's say uh, a new couple comes into grace, which this happens a lot, and, uh, it, it, and just a, a nice young couple, and, and we're connecting with them well, and maybe they become believers, or maybe not quite yet, but they're almost ready to become believers, and they're living together. And so they take our membership class, they're living together, and, and everybody meets with a pastor, and maybe the pastor meets with them. We would kind of point that out and say, hey, where are you at on this? You, you do know that, that God has a standard in this area of your life. And some people will react negatively to that, you know, and they'll be like, wow, that, that's just, that's, I don't like that. I mean, that's just not the way I want to live my life right now or, or whatever. And, and we would assume that maybe that person isn't a believer. But the point is this. If you hit that with somebody, if you're talking to them about some clear thing in Scripture, but they don't seem that they're ready to receive. Like an example there is like, if we just hit kind of loggerheads, we're discussing that, and that discussion's kind of going nowhere, we might stop that discussion, put that on hold for a minute, and say, hey, let's put this on hold, and now let's talk about the Lordship of Jesus and who He is. And that he is an authority over life. And let's go learn a little bit about more, more about this area. And then when we learn a little more about this area, that's going to make you way more receptive about this other area where you feel like it's cramping your style personally. Does that make sense? So we're tuned in to try to figure out what truth do they need to hear in order for them to hear all truth. or for, for, In order for them to totally embrace the gospel. So, we want to be discerning in that. I I know we look at this, and and this primarily sounds like it's real negative on non-believers, and I'm not denying that. But I think this passage may also be negative on the believers who own the pearls. Notice your pearls before swine. Not just pearls, but your pearl. When he says that, I think that may be kind of a negative on us in that we're the caregivers, we're the farmers, we're the feeders, and that we need to be careful what we're doing, that we're doing everything in their best interests. I just this week heard a Christian tell about a relationship that they had with a non-believer, and of course the the Christian was using different opportunities to talk about God, and at one point... Uh, the Christian makes a lunch meeting with this non-believer. And then at the lunch meeting, here's what he says. He says, hey, you know, we've been talking about for God, talking about God for a while. Today, I'm going to ask you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But before I get there, are there any issues that you want to talk about? You see how he set that up? Why didn't he do that before? Because he's teaching somebody about God, teaching them about God by the love of God, how he knows us, the holiness of God. And then finally to the gospel, he comes to a point where he says, hey, I just want you to know today is the big ask. Today is when I ask you to do this. But that shows a sensitivity of where that person is over time to try to lead them to Christ. So we've got to figure out when to say what, But we always have to say something. This cannot give us a pass to say, well, if I'm worried about what to say, oh, they might not take that. I don't want to set this back any, so I'm just not going to say anything, and somebody else will take care of this, or God will do a miracle and zap them or or whatever. God has given us the responsibility to share with other people the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is so important. Important to us gives us life. The gospel is everything. And so we want that for other people because we love them. And so we have to figure out a way. Be wise in the way. Jesus is saying, don't be judgmental, but also don't be naive. It's basically, I think, what he's saying in these passages put together. So, and, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the next verse says what the next verse says, which is the third hard saying that I want to talk about. And this is a hard saying. There are hard sayings for a different reason. This is a hard saying that we all understand. We just don't believe it. And that is in verse 7. I want to read that for you. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and you will find. And it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. Now, the reason I say that we understand what he's saying, because we all do, but we don't believe it, because there's probably been a circumstance, every person here who's a believer has probably experienced asking God for something that God did not give them, did not answer, did not open that door. But he's saying here, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be open. So what's the disconnect there? I've never met a Christian who's told me, hey Kevin, wow, I've been a Christian now for five years. It's been going great. As a matter of fact, everything I ever asked God for in every prayer that I've ever prayed, he's given me. Right then. Boom. Booyah! You know, big time. We don't experience it that way. So, so what's going on here? Well, the key. Why, why doesn't that work? Why doesn't it operate? That the key is in the next three verses. If we continue in verse nine, so here's how Jesus is going to going to illustrate this for us. Where what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? So how many parents in the room, how many of you ever have children? Yeah, a lot. How many of you ever notice children ask for stuff? I mean, it happens a lot, Right. You know, we're on, Pam and I are on our second time around, so we have four grandkids, all of them under three years old, and they ask for things. When they're at our house, a lot of times they ask for snacks. You know, can I have this? Can I have that? Well, didn't you just eat like 30 minutes? That, that's the exact example that Jesus is using. He's, he's illustrating hey, how do parents give to their kids? He's saying. And it really kind of clears this up. They ask for a lot of things, and that's the example Jesus using. And and so we all kind of get that it's possible that we can ask God for something, but but maybe that's actually not the best thing for us. A lot of theology in the country western song, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers, kind of an idea. We could probably simply understand that, yeah probably if I look back on my life, if I've been a Christian for a long time, especially when I was young, you know, that there was a lot of things that God didn't maybe answer that prayer and that was good for me. But now sometimes people will push back and they say, whoa, Kevin, hold it now. Because I've asked God for something that I know was good because God said it was good. It was, maybe it's something totally unselfish or maybe it's something for somebody else or maybe it's the salvation of somebody else. What's up with that? How can, it, how can God not give me what God says is good if, if he wants to give me everything? Well, that's a great, great question. And uh, the thing about prayer is that we pray from our own personal perspective most of the time. So when we pray, it's usually for something regarding us or somebody that we're connected to, and our prayers are typically one-dimensional. We have our life, and we're looking at our life, and we say, hey, God, I need this blue square. I need it right here. By the way, I'm not a Rubik's Cube guy. That, Michael Miller's the expert on it. But I say it, hey, God, I, I need this blue square here. I, I need it right here, right in my life. That's where I need it. And then what will happen is we have all these level of prayers. We, we have, like, low-level prayers. You know, that's like this week you're praying, hey, God, uh, the whole family's coming over for Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday, and, and I pray that everybody gets along. You know, that may be low level for some, maybe a higher level for some families, you know, but, you know, just pray we all get along, kind of low-level prayer. And then there's, like, a high-level prayer, which is, God, you know, this person's in ICU, they're critical, and I pray that they'll recover, that they'll be okay, that they'll have their life back. Or, or God, I'm praying that this person, you know, comes to know you. Very high-level prayer. but pro- You know, and so all these apply. But just for an example, we'll use a mid-level prayer. Let's say a mid-level prayer is something like, hey, God, I, I pray that I get this promotion that I'm up for, because if I do... Then I'll be better able to provide for my family, which is a good thing because you told me to provide for my family. And it'll also enable me to be more generous, which is a good thing because you say that's a good thing. And so we pray for the promotion. And then let's say God gives us the promotion, but it's one dimensional. Here's what I mean by that. What we don't think about is all the ripple effects that God answering that prayer does. So let's say in this circumstance, you get the promotion. Now, Your prayer and your promotion has impacted everybody in the department that you're leaving. So you're leaving a department. Now, every life there has been impacted in some way. And now your kids are leaving the friends they have now and the school they have now, and they're gonna, let's say it involves a move. They're gonna move to a different area and they're gonna have different friends and they're gonna go to a different school. But because they're go to that different school, they didn't stay at the school that they were at, that in two years, we're gonna have a super great history teacher, was gonna get your son really connected into school, which then finally got him interested, which made him pull some grades and decide to go on to college. And then he goes on to college, a specific school, where he actually meets his future wife and they go on to have their kids. But none of that happened because you took the promotion and you went where that teacher was never at. And, all, and so we see the ripple effect. You see what I'm saying? Because prayer, when God answers it, is not one-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. So when He answers a prayer that we think, this is a no-brainer, we don't understand the entire ripple effect of everything that's going to happen. We don't get that. And and here's what I'm telling you. God loves you more than you will ever realize. And as human parents, we, we love our kids big time. And we want the best for our kids, right? Jesus is pointing out, hey, the way you love your kids I love you way more than that. Plus, I'm perfect and I know everything. Plus, my love for you is perfect. And so when you pray to me, I want to give you what's best. I'm not going to give you something bad. Any of you could go over to my house someday and walk across our kitchen floor while our grandkids were in the house with a bottle of Drano. And, And a child might point and say, drink, Of course, if you gave him the drink, and then the police showed up because there's a medical emergency there, and then your only defense was, well, he wanted the drink. You go to jail, right? And you should go to jail. You see, what I'm saying is, God understands what we want, but He answers prayer in a multidimensional way that is so far beyond us, we can never understand it. Maybe on the other side, we'll get it. So my point is this. We can totally trust God. So when we pray, we should pray to Him joyfully, joyfully knowing, That our Father loves us more than we can ever imagine and has proven that love with action by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He loves us more than we ever realize and He takes our prayers and He will give us what we want, what we need, that when all the ripple effect is over, that is the best course for us. I mean just like we might tell our child no you don't want to drink that you're asking that because you're thirsty but here you quench your thirst in a way better way than that that's what God does in our lives don't give up on prayer just realize that God's ways are so much higher than our ways and. He's the creator of the universe. He knows everything. He knows every consequence. He knows every situation. He knows how answering a prayer of ours will affect us, how it will affect our family, how it will affect our friends, how it will affect our future friends, how it will affect our future family, and everything else. He knows all of that, and we can joyfully trust Him. With anything we ask Him, and the amazing thing, He invites us to ask. And we get to ask with the confidence of knowing He knows way better than we know. What a gift from the Father who loves us like that. Don't forget that. Don't give up on prayer. Pray humbly and joyfully, trusting God for everything. We're going to wrap up our service here. We just covered three kind of hard sayings, whatever, you know, first seven seven verses in Matthew chapter 7. And basically I wanted to stop and, because we're talking about prayer, pray for each one of these boxes that are here, because we all get this, right? Each box here was made by one of us. We put some gifts in there and put some money in there to to get it there. And then what's going to happen is Operation Christmas Child, which is a ministry of Samaritan's Purse, they're going to open these boxes, kind of check them over, and then they're going to add content, which is the gospel in the appropriate language and the appropriate reading level for each child that gets one of these boxes. And then that'll be repackaged together and, through, and your gift is gonna end up in a needy child's hands, a child that lives somewhere on the other side of the world. And I want us to pray, and many of you probably have already done this, that each box would have an impact on that child's heart, that they'll joyfully receive the box and the gifts that are there, but more importantly, that even more profoundly, they will receive the message that's contained, and they will realize not only that there's somebody on the other side of the world that loves them, more importantly, that they have a heavenly Father that knows every detail of their life, who loves them more than they can imagine. So I want to have that prayer, and then I'm going to give you a a, a few instructions before we move on with our day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for everyone uh, coming here and filling out these boxes. We thank you for the opportunity we have through uh, Operation Christmas Child and Samaritan's Purse, and Billy Graham... Franklin Graham's uh, ministry there, and we just thank you for him and this opportunity we have to give a gift to a needy child somewhere else, Lord, that you would use it to impact their hearts. We pray that you would, each child, each box, that every child that opens this box would be joyful about the stuff, but that their heart would be impacted by the message. And, Father, we pray for the churches that are working in conjunction with these giving of the boxes, the local churches on the ground that are just trying to use these boxes to leverage the gospel in the life of a child. Father, we pray that that would go well, that each child, Lord, would get the message, that you would help that to be effective, and you help them to contemplate you, and that you would draw their hearts to yourself. God, again, thanks that we can be part of that. And thank you for the leadership of uh, Holly Kidd and uh, Lynette Kirsch in making all this happen. Lord, thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.